Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. New believers sometimes ask me, now that I am a Christian, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Now that I am a Christian, what am I supposed to do for the rest of my... How am I supposed to spend the rest of my life now that I am a Christian? The answer is found in a passage of Scripture we've been studying now for the last several weeks, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, our focus has been, for the last seven weeks, on the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Philippian Christians. You find that in verses 9 and 10 and 11. So if you'll turn in your Bibles there again with us this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11, we will look at the seventh principle that is involved in spiritual maturity. The seventh principle involved in spiritual maturity. Stand with me, if you will, please, in honor of God's word. He says, and this I pray, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Can you say amen? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as we stated a number of Sundays ago, this prayer is divided into two parts. Verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul talks about those things that we are to do today and every day of our lives until the day of Christ. And then in verse 10, he talks about when that day of Christ comes, we ought to be able to look back upon our life and we ought to be able to say that the life that I have lived in anticipation of Christ's coming, I have lived in righteousness and in holiness. And so the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Christians in Philippi, and now down through the ages he is encouraging us to be about the task of living our Christian lives in anticipation of the coming of the Lord, so that when he does come, we can be satisfied in our spirit that we have lived a life of righteousness, a life of holiness. Every day, we're to grow and we're to develop in these principles of spiritual maturity. We're to apply daily each principle that leads us into being a spiritually mature, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And look at verse 9 uh, and 10 again, and we'll just list these principles in passing. They're there in your sermon notes. You can follow them there. The first principle is growing daily in our love for Jesus Christ, uh, for his word, the Bible, uh, in our love for fellow 
Christians, for the Christian church, for the ministry uh, that the Holy Spirit has gifted us and called us and empowered us and equipped us to do, growing daily in our love for the Lord and the things of the Lord. Second, growing daily in the truth of God's Word. Growing daily in the truth. God's people ought to be about God's Word. Amen? I I don't know how you have spent... Uh, the year and some odd weeks uh, while COVID was keeping people confined, I pray that you have been uh, involved in the study of God's Word. I pray that you were in the Word of God more often than you were in the idiot box uh, watching the programs on TV. I pray that you had been involved in the study of the truth of God's Word that would help you grow to spiritual maturity. It has been a time for us as Christians to shut the things of the world out. I know we were frustrated with COVID. I know we were angry at the, at the restrictions and the limitations. I know that we were complaining and criticizing about all the hoops we had to jump through in order to comply with regulations and so on and so forth. But God gave us a golden opportunity to shut the world out for a while and to involve ourselves in the study of his word. And I pray you took advantage of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, a young pastor in uh, the church at Ephesus. He said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And that phrase, accurately handling the word of truth, really means to cut the word of God straight. To cut the word of God straight. To handle it accurately. We've had the opportunity to go into the Word of God and to search out uh, God's Word from some, for some of the questions that we've had, some of the uh, issues that we've had that we really didn't have time to explore because we were at work or we were doing this, that, or the other. It was a golden opportunity for us to, to track some of those things down and to come to an understanding that this is what God's Word has to say about that issue. This is what God's Word has to say about that problem. This is what God's Word has to say about whatever. A golden opportunity to do that. Third, apply what we've learned from Scripture into our lives. Listen, friends, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Knowledge without application is useless. Knowledge without Putting it to practical use in your life avails you nothing. You may very well say, I know the answer to that question. I know the complexities of that issue. I know how this and I know how that, so on and so forth. But if you don't put that to use in your life, you're of no good. You're of no use. We live in a world that's got problems. And as the people of God, we need to engage ourselves in the resolution of some of those problems from the spiritual point of view, from God's perspective. You know, as human beings, we are limited in what we know, and we're certainly limited in what we're able to understand. But God is not. And God can 
speak to your understanding, to help you realize that uh, Joe over here or Sue over there or Billy over here or Karen over there, they've got some issues that, that I can address because God has walked me through some of those issues myself. So I have some practical knowledge and I have some understanding about what they're going through and I can be of help and of ministry to them. That's why we study the Word of God. That's why God gives us knowledge and understanding. Not so that we can sit back and fold our arms and say, I've got all the answers, but so that we can put on our work boots and put on our spiritual gloves and go and minister to people and help them rise above the issues that they're facing in their lives. Apply what we learn from Scripture into our own life. Again, the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. He says, continue, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, listen to this, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It is beneficial. It is helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God and the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The goal of the study of Scripture is to make us whole and complete. Without God in your life, you are two-dimensional. With God in your life, you are three-dimensional. You are, you are the person that God wants you to be. And so we learn from His Word how we are to live our lives and how we are to apply His truth not only in our lives but through our lives into the lives of others. Number four, test everything so that we will know what is excellent, that is, what is superior, what is best for us in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, listen to the words of Paul. And listen carefully to the words of Paul. All things are lawful for me. Now Paul was a Roman citizen. Understand that. Paul was a Roman citizen. So he was a free person. He was also a Jew. A descendant of Abraham. He was also a scholar. He was trained in the university in Tarsus. And he was being groomed by the elders of Israel to take his place among the elders of the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Hebrew people. Paul was a brainiac. Paul was a smart dude. Paul was an individual who had his act together politically, morally, ethically, religiously. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And again, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Do you hear him? 
Do you understand his attitude? Do you see where he's coming from here? Listen, we live in a land that allows us personal rights and freedoms. Amen? Amen? Do you enjoy those rights and freedoms? If you don't, I encourage you to go visit some third world country and stay there for a year or two to find out just how blessed you are living here in this country. With all of our problems, with all of our hairy warts and everything else that goes with it, we are still the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we need to appreciate that. We need to appreciate that. But, even though we live in a land that allows us personal rights and freedoms, there are many things that we can avail ourselves of that are good and worthwhile, but are not necessarily to our benefit. As Christians, some of these things are harmful. Some of these things are beyond God's will for us. They're available to us, and we have the freedom to embrace them. But as the Apostle Paul said, there are some things we don't dare touch. There are some places we don't dare go. There are some things we dare not do because they are not beneficial. They are not helpful to me as a Christian. They are beyond God's will for my life. We need to discern those things that strengthen and build up our faith, our life, and our ministry in Jesus Christ. Number five, personal integrity. And integrity with others is not an option for Christians. It is a must. Personal integrity and integrity with other people is a vital necessity in one's Christian life. We need to be true to the values, to the morals, to the ethics, and to the beliefs that the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. Listen to the words of Paul. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says, as a Roman citizen, as a, a member of the household of Abraham, as one who has been called by Christ into his kingdom, I have the world open to me, but I will not allow myself to be ruled by the world that I live in. I will not allow the things of the flesh, the things of the world, the things of Satan to come against me, to keep me silent, to back me into a corner, to make me ineffective. I discipline my body so that I will not be disqualified. Now these principles 
are all progressive steps, as we've stated before. Progressive steps that lead us towards spiritual maturity in Christ-likeness and away from worldliness and sin and the flesh. But I want you to note verse 10. Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Until Jesus returns for us. In other words, for the rest of our lives here on the earth, we are to practice these spiritual disciplines. Every day, every week, every month, every year, until the Lord comes again. Now, as I was struggling with this sermon, I, I, was, I was really getting excited about wanting to share with you the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, what that means, uh, when it's going to happen, what it's going to involve, those kinds of things. And I got really excited about it. I was writing down page after page after page of things that uh, the Scripture talks about with regard to the day of Christ. And I had about six or eight pages. And then the, the Lord said, no, that's not the point. That's not what Paul is emphasizing here in this prayer. He mentions the day of the Lord twice in verse 6 and then again in verse 10. But that's not the point that the apostle wanted to make. And so we'll have to talk about the day of the Lord another time. Uh, we, will, we will focus in on what the apostle Paul was focusing in on this morning. And the focus here is spiritual endurance, perseverance. Do you know what perseverance is? Do you know what it means to endure? I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm not talking about your employer or employees. Endurance. Perseverance. True Christians, listen, true Christians will persevere in their faith and in their fellowship with Jesus Christ. No matter what it is that they face in life, no matter what it is that Satan throws at them, no matter what it is that the world does to them, they will persevere in their faith and in their fellowship in Jesus Christ. There will be, yes, keep on keeping on. There will be times when we falter and when we fail and we may even face persecution for our faith. But Jesus said in Matthew 10 verse 22, it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And what he says there, what he means there is, will be finally and fully and completely saved after they have endured all that they needed to endure here in the earth. Now, how do we... Because it is a big question for guys and for gals. How do we endure through trials and temptations? How are we supposed to persevere under pressure of persecution, peer pressure, all of the other things that uh, Satan throws at us, the world throws at us to knock our legs out from under us? How do we endure in the midst of hardships and heartaches and heartbreaks in this world as Christians? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
because the answer is found in the book of Hebrews. So we're going to turn right, and we're going to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now there are a number of other passages that I could have selected to uh, underscore, to illustrate, and to kind of give you an idea of what perseverance and what endurance really looks like, but the Lord impressed me with this passage of Scripture uh, as the one that we will use to illustrate this morning, Christian perseverance, Christian endurance. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Look at it, if you will, please. Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, the word therefore is very important. We're not going to get into a whole bunch of this this morning, but I just want you to reference that. The therefore means that the apostle is drawing to a conclusion. He's making a concluding statement, a summary, if you will, of the things that he had previously talked about. Now, we're not going to go into what he previously talked about. That'll be for a later time. But the therefore is drawing to a conclusion. Therefore, he says... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. What a profound piece of counsel that the apostle has given to the Christians of his day and the Christians of today. I want you to note just a few things here. Three times in three verses, the apostle talked about perseverance. He talked about endurance. In verse 1, let us run the race with endurance. Verse 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. The emphasis here of the Apostle, not only in, in chapter 12, but from chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book of Hebrews, is for Christian people to endure, to persevere, to, to trust in the Lord, and to uh, remain faithful to the Lord through trials and tribulations and temptations and persecution and heartache and suffering and burdens. To live your life honorable before God and before men, despite what the world does to you, despite what others do to you, say about you, treat you, persevere, stick with it, hang on, keep going, move ahead. And he teaches us how to do this all through the book. But he summarizes it right here in chapter 12. What's going on here in this book that would prompt the apostle to write this letter? Well, there were older Christians, people who had been Christians for quite a number of years, not necessarily old like 
I'm old, but David is older, but, <laughs> but those who have been Christians for quite a while, for a number of years, and they were being persecuted for their faith. And most of the persecution was coming from the Jewish community. This was not necessarily a Roman persecution like we read about under Nero or Trajan or Hadrian or Domitian, those who wanted to stamp out Christianity. Most of the people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, when this book was being written, were coming out of Judaism. They were Jews, they were born Jews, they were raised Jews uh, in Judaism, and now they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they've embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they were being persecuted by their Jewish parents, or their Jewish children, or their Jewish siblings, or their Jewish employers, or their Jewish employees, whatever. They were being persecuted by those people for abandoning the Jewish faith and, and embracing Christianity. And after a while, they were getting tired of it. They were getting tired of it. They didn't want to face it anymore. And so they were thinking about defecting. They were thinking about turning away from Christianity and going back to Judaism. And the apostle says, don't do that. Persevere in your faith. Stay the course. There are also those who were new to the Christian faith, coming out of Judaism again. And so they hadn't had uh, the opportunity, they hadn't had the time to develop in their Christian faith enough. They were still green behind the ears, if you will. And they didn't know how to take this kind of persecution. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know how to respond to moms and dads who kicked them out of the house because they became Christians or sons and daughters who would have nothing to do with them anymore because they had become Christians or brothers and sisters who would break fellowship with them and would have no other relationships with them because they had become Christians. They didn't know how to handle it. And so they too were thinking about turning away from the Christian faith and going back to Judaism. And some of them were young enough that to leave the Jewish faith and to become Christians, they missed, they missed the Jewish festivals, the high holy days. They missed being in synagogue and being under the authority of the priests and offering sacrifices as prescribed by Mosaic law. They missed all of the wonderful things that they enjoyed as Jewish people in fellowship with other Jewish people. And they were longing for those days and they were wanting to go back to those days. And so they were thinking about defecting from the Christian faith and going back to Judaism so they could enjoy their old life once again. And then there were those who had heard the gospel and they had come to church with Christian friends and they had seen how the Holy Spirit works in people's lives and they had heard the testimonies of their Christian friends on how the Lord has led them through difficulties and how their hearts were blessed by the Word of God and, and they were caught up in the rapture of Christian music and, and Christian fellowship. They hadn't made a commitment to Jesus Christ yet, but they were right on the verge. And they were wanting 
They were wanting to become a part of the Christian fellowship because of all of the wonderful things that they had experienced in the Christian fellowship. And they were, they were debating it. What we used to say in Baptist circles back home, they were white-knuckling it. They were holding on to the back of the pews knowing that they should make the commitment to Jesus Christ, but they were still apprehensive about it. They were still not really sure that they should pull the trigger, take the, take the leap. Go ahead and make that commitment to Christ. And so once again, the apostle was writing to these individuals to tell them that Jesus Christ is the summation of all that Judaism was all about. He fulfilled all of the sacrifices of the sacrificial system. He elevated the priesthood and consummated the priesthood by his own priesthood. He was uh, the, the end of everything that God had designed and desired that the Jewish people should find in Mosaic law. He was the complete consummation of it all. So turn to Jesus if you haven't made the commitment to him yet. Stay with Jesus if you've already made that commitment. Persevere in Jesus despite what other people are doing to you, saying about you, being critical of you. Hang in there. Stick with it. That's what this book is really all about. Now, we need to define what perseverance is and what endurance is. If we're going to be able to do that, we need to know what it really is. Now, perseverance and endurance, what it is not. What it is not. The Greek words used here, and really the, the same Greek word for perseverance is the same Greek word for endurance. They mean the same thing. In some places it's translated endurance. In other places it's perseverance. Why that is, I don't know. You need to ask the translators of the scripture. But that was back in 1601, so good luck with that. Perseverance. Perseverance is not a gut-wrenching, gotta-hang-in-there attitude. It is not a dreaded, hold-on-tight proposition. When the Scripture talks about Christians persevering, when it talks about Christians enduring, it's not talking about something that is negative, it's talking about something that is positive. It is, by definition, a cheerful and a hopeful patience. A cheerful and a hopeful patience. Now, some of us don't have the patience thing down yet. Uh, we got to get the patience thing down first before we can move on to the cheerful and hopeful patience. You understand what I'm saying? But endurance, perseverance in the Christian life is a cheerful and a hopeful patience. It's not waiting because I gotta wait. It's not getting to the end of my rope, tying a knot in it, and hanging on for dear life. It is a cheerful, it is a hopeful prospect of waiting. Waiting upon the Lord to lead us, waiting on the circumstances to change, waiting on the Holy Spirit to give us understanding 
so that we can move on ahead through whatever it is that we are facing. It is a cheerful and anticipatory, a hopeful patience. It is an abiding or a living under. In other words, if it's persecution, such as they were facing here, um, wherever these Christians were, because the apostle who wrote the, the, the book doesn't tell us where they were, like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, or he wrote to the Ephesians, or he wrote to the Philippians. We don't know where this congregation was, but they, we do know that they were under persecution, physical persecution. And so endurance here would mean keep living your faith under the pressure of what you're facing for whom, from whomever is critical of you or persecuting you. Now, that's an important thing to understand because most of the time, most of the time, Christians today, when persecution raises its ugly head, we become paralyzed. We shrink back. We go find a safe corner and we hide out for a while, don't we? We don't continue to live our faith with hopeful anticipation, with a, a sense of um, uh, cheerfulness and joy in our heart. Immediately we become defensive. Immediately we become critical. Immediately we go on the attack against those who are attacking us. That's not perseverance. That's not endurance in the Christian sense. We are to go on living our lives under that pressure... We are to stay faithful and our fellowship with the Lord is to remain intact in spite of that pressure. It is an energetic resistance. It is a steadfastness under the pressure and the trials and the temptations that we face in life. Listen, I know sometimes, you know, I've been around the block once or twice myself. And I know sometimes we feel like the Lone Ranger in our Christian lives. We do. I know some of us say, well, nobody knows. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Sometimes we'll say no one has to put up with the things that I have to put up with as a Christian. We want to be like Zazu in The Lion King when Scar took over the pride and Zazu was imprisoned in a skeleton over in the corner and he was singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. And sometimes Christians want to sing that song. Sometimes we want to respond to the situation in a negative sense. But here the apostle gives us two examples Two examples designed to demonstrate spiritual perseverance. And you'll note here in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, what's that all about? Well, it's a reference back to chapter 11. It's a reference back to the heroes of faith. It's a reference back to 
Those who have lived their lives like you are living your life, like I am living my life, in a world that is sinful, in a world that has fallen, in a world that hates God, in a world that rejects Christ, in a world that will have nothing to do with spirituality, true, genuine uh, spirituality, how they were able to live in a world like that and remain faithful to the Lord God. That's the first group of individuals. And so the apostle calls us to consider those who have walked the same road and who have persevered in the faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. After talking about such individuals as Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and Sarah, and all of these other guys. In verse 13, notice what he says. All these, and see if this shoe, see if this, see if this shirt fits. Bless you. See if this shirt fits you. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. You know, I could stop there. How many times have I heard Christian people say, Well, God promised me this. Well, Jesus promised me this. Why hasn't he fulfilled his promises? That's not faith. That's failure. All of these, we're talking about Abraham, talking about Moses and Sarah and Enoch and Abel and all of these other individuals, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, in other words, they, in their mind's eye, in their spiritual eyes, they saw these things fulfilled in the future. They didn't receive them while they were physically alive, but they, they saw them. They saw the reality of these things in the future. Welcomed them from a distance and, were ha and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Sometimes we Christians feel like that, don't we? Verse 14, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. What is that country? Heaven. Thank you for paying attention. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has appeared, he has prepared a city for them. That's what it's like for us sometimes as Christians. We live in a world that doesn't appreciate who we are. And we're living in a country, we're living in a nation that is less and less appreciative of who the Christians are and for what they stand for. But as Christians, we are to continue to live under that kind of attitude that the world has toward us. And we're to look at the examples of other individuals and see how they have survived, how they have persevered, how they have endured in their Christian faith. And we're to model after them. We're to look to them and learn from them. Listen, our life, my life as a Christian, your life as a, as a Christian, it's not a solo act before the Lord God. Understand that. Your life is not a solo act before the Lord God. We are members of a greater cast of characters in this call to faith 
and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And like all good cast members, and I know you watch you know, sitcoms, and I know you watch dramas, and so on and so forth, and maybe you go to a play every now and again. All of the cast members, those who make up the ensemble that is called a cast member, all of these feed off of each other. They take their cues from each other. They live in concert with each other while they're on the stage. And that what, that's what makes the, the, the situation comedy. That's what makes the drama. That's what, that's what makes the play worth watching. When all of the cast members are on the same page and they're all working with each other and they're all working off of each other to do the best that they can do as they present their part. And so what the apostle is telling us here is, go back and look at these heroes of faith in chapter 11 and walk with these people through Scripture. Every one of them, their lives are told in the Old Testament. Go back and read about Enoch. Go back and read about Abel. Go back and read about Abraham. Go back and read about Moses. Read about Sarah. Read about Noah. And all of the things that they went through in their faith, in the Lord God. Walk with them. Learn from them. And you'll find that their shoes fit perfectly on your feet. Second, the apostle says here that Jesus Christ is our supreme example. Look at verse 3. Hebrews 12, verse 3. For consider him, speaking of Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Those are the days that we're living in today, dear friends. Now, the persecution here is not nearly as intense or as severe as brothers and sisters in Christ are facing in other countries, especially other countries that hate Christianity and have outlawed Christianity. Many of them are giving their lives up daily for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about just being shunned or just being uh, uh, the object of ridicule and criticism. Many of them are being imprisoned. Many of them are being tortured. Many of them are being killed every single day. Not because they didn't pay their taxes. Not because uh, they married outside of their, uh, their race. Not because they didn't appreciate their government. But for the sole reason that they are Christian. For the sole reason that they believe and they are living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great example. We are called to consider him who lived a life of being oppressed and eventually crucified. So go back and read the Gospels of Mark and Luke and Matthew and John in that order. Mark, Luke, Matthew, John. Mark, Luke, Matthew, John. Read the life of Jesus over and over and over again. Get to know Jesus who persevered in faith and obedience to his heavenly Father. Learn from him a life that can be pleasing unto the Lord despite the adversities that he faces. But then the apostle also gives us some very practical things to do that are key to Christian perseverance and endurance. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 again. Lay aside. Well, first of all, therefore, since we've had 
so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, all of the heroes of faith that have lived before us. And I would venture to say, all of the heroes of faith that are living around us today, there are some very godly men and women out here, friends, that we need to be looking at, that we need to be talking to, that we need to be learning from. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. What are some of the practical things that the apostle gives to us here? Number one, lay aside every encumbrance. Lay aside every encumbrance. An encumbrance is a weight or it is a burden that becomes a handicap or it hamstrings you or it hinders you from moving forward. All right? So he's talking about anything in this life, good or bad. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It can be good, but it's not the best. Anything that hinders you, anything that keeps you from moving on to spiritual maturity. And that can be anything. It can be doubt. It can be pride. It can be laziness. It can be fear. It can be unbelief. It can be ego. Those are the negative things. But it could be a family member. It could be your job. It could be your goals in life that are not consistent with God's goals for you. It could be you watch too much TV. It could be your fantasy life. And by that I mean daydreaming about what life would be like if this, 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 this were all in place. Those can be a, a hindrance to spiritual growth and development. And he says, any of these things, good or bad, that keep you from moving ahead to spiritual maturity, those are an encumbrance. And he says, lay it aside. Now what does it mean, lay it aside? It means to put it off. It means to take it off, remove it from you as you would take off a soiled or a stained shirt. Remove it. Take it off. Be done with it. Second, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. And the word entangle, the Greek word means basically the same thing as the English word that trip you up. If you get entangled in something, it, it holds you captive. If, if you're being bound by ropes or whatever, or if you trip over a, a cable or a, a wire or a rope, it tangles your feet up, you trip, and you fall. But I want you to note something here in the text. He doesn't say, lay aside every encumbrance and sin. He says, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. The sin. He's not speaking in general terms. He's speaking in specifics. And you know what, dear friends? You know what that sin is. He's not going to spell it out for you because he knows you know what that sin is. 
lay aside the sin that easily ensnare you, that easily trip you up. And beloved, we all have at least one. We all have at least one. And you say, I don't. Well, you've just lied. So that could be the sin. Because the Apostle John writes to us in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar. And the truth is not in us. Listen, Satan has been around long enough that he knows how to read human character, human nature, human conduct. Huh? Yeah? He's been, he's been around longer than Joe Powell's been around. And the thing about it is, friends, we may look different and we may sound different and we may act a little different, but we're all the same. And Satan knows our weaknesses. Satan knows those sins that we fall prey to easily, readily. And he can capitalize on those because he understands that at certain times in your life, in certain situations in your life, you will default to that sin. And he knows that. And you know that too. But the apostle here is encouraging us to lay that sin aside. And if it's more than one sin, then lay those sins aside. The Latin word for the entanglement is the sin that stands around you. I like that. The Hebrew word is a word that means, and it's a picture word because the Hebrew language is, is pictorial. It means sitting at the campfire with the lions encircling you. That's what it means. Sitting at the campfire with the lions around you. The sin that stands around you. To the Hebrew people, here in the book of Hebrews, it was their unbelief. Their unwillingness to persevere because they started doubting Jesus. They started doubting the Christian faith. They, they wanted to go back to the Jewish faith. It was unbelief. To you, it could be the lust of the flesh. It could be the lust of the eyes. It could be the pride of life. It could be anger. It could be bitterness. It could be resentment. It could be jealousy. It could be ego. It could be, a one, it could be one of a number of different things that easily trip you up when, the circumstance, when there is a perfect storm in your life. When the circumstances are just right. Go back to Galatians. Uh, well, no, we won't go back to Galatians. We'll, we're going to go to Genesis here in a minute. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, the Apostle Paul gives a litany of all of these sins, all of these weaknesses, all of these things that easily trip us up, all of these tools that are in Satan's bag uh, that he can use to cause you to stumble and cause you to fall. But the point here the apostle is making is to identify it, to confess it to the Lord, to repent of it, and to leave it alone. Do you hear me? 
That's, that's the encouragement here. That is what the apostle is commanding us to do. Identify that sin that so easily besets you. Confess it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of it and then leave it alone. Put it off like a dirty, smelly, ugly shirt. And don't ever put it on again. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 4. This is how gracious and how merciful and how loving and how caring God is toward us. And it really emphasizes what the apostle is talking about here in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, you're looking at your clocks already, I know, and that's okay. The barbecue is not going to burn. If it is, you shouldn't have put it on before you came to church. Look at Genesis chapter 4. We're all fairly familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Now the man, that is Adam, had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. This is in verse 2. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now, I'm not going to get into the discussion of why God accepted one, uh, one's offering and why God did not accept the other's offering, because that's not the point. The point is... Cain became angry at his brother. Now listen to this. Look at this. And this is in the first book of the Bible. This is the first family of the human race. And God is giving us a very important word of counsel here. Then the Lord said to Cain, and dear friends, if you're a Christian, this is always the case. If you, are, if you are nearing the precipice of sin, if you're getting close to turning away from the Lord and from rejecting or ignoring His count, He will always come to you and He will speak to you. He will never leave you out there on the, uh, 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 on the very end of the limb waiting for someone else to cut that limb out from under you. No, He will come to you and He will counsel with you. He will give you a way out. Look, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. In the Hebrew, its desire is to overtake you. But you, must master it. Learn from that. Understand that. I am encouraged by this. That when things are not going right, when situations and circumstances are not as I had planned, when things, my dreams are falling through, when, uh, you know, when I, I'm under pressure, when Satan is attacking, when people are critical, when life is not going right, and, and I'm getting, I, I'm feeling the pressure that the sin that so easily besets me is beginning to uh, rear its ugly head. God comes to me, and God speaks to me, and he says, look, 
The lions have surrounded you. And the lions are ready to pounce on you. That's what he says here. Sin crouching at the door. And they're ready to pounce on you. And they're ready to overtake you. And their desire is to overcome you. Their desire is to, to destroy you. But you, you master this. You do what you need to do to resist this. You need to do what you need to do to overcome them rather than allow them to overcome you. And James the Apostle gives us the key to this. I know uh, this is bearing it out a little bit long, but we need to hear this. James tells us that if we will submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. Huh? Did you hear that? If we will submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. In that order. You cannot resist the devil and then submit to God. Satan will laugh at you at your face. No, you can't resist the devil without submission to the authority of God. You don't have the power to deal with Satan eyeball to eyeball and foot to foot. You don't have the power to resist temptation apart from the spiritual power that God can give you through His Holy Spirit. James says, submit to God first, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's exactly what God is telling Cain to do here. Look! I have come to you to give you counsel. I have come to you to warn you. I have come to you to help you see that the enemy is at the door and the enemy wants to destroy you. Now, take courage and do what you have to do in order to overcome this. And dear friends, that advice is still as pertinent and as powerful today as it ever has been. Look at the life of Jesus. He did not engage in any activity without first of all consulting the Father first. Oftentimes he would spend all night in prayer. He spent all night in prayer before he chose the 12 men that would be his disciples. He spent all night in prayer uh, before he walked on the water to deliver the disciples from the storm-tossed sea. He spent the night in prayer before he fed the 5,000 and then again before he fed the 4,000. He spent the night. He was always talking to the Father about what was going to happen next. And he always wanted to be in the center of God's will. He would not permit Satan to overtake him. And then third... Run the race with endurance set before you. Friends, do we realize that the Christian life is not a hundred-yard dash? Well, we don't use that term anymore, a hundred-meter sprint. The Christian life is not a hundred-meter sprint. It's a Boston marathon. Spiritual maturity is not gained overnight but over a lifetime. To run it, we have to have patient endurance. We must live under the authority and the leadership of Jesus Christ. We must resist temptation and remain faithful to the Lord under the pressures of our lives in a fallen and failing world system. And then fourth and final... Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. The word fix means to lock on. Those of you who've been in the military, especially those in the Air Force, you know what it's like for a missile to lock on to your aircraft. Those who've been in the Navy, you know what it's like for the enemy missiles to be locked on to your ship. That's what the word fix means here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Lock on to Jesus Christ. Look at his example. Fix your attention on his example. Get tunnel vision when it comes to Jesus Christ. For many years now, since I've been in this pulpit, I have emphasized the importance of firmly fixing our focus on Jesus Christ. Establishing our feet in the truth of God's word, standing on his promises, and remaining focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's more necessary now than it's ever been. So look at the words of Paul again in Philippians chapter 1. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Beloved, that day is quickly drawing near. I wish I could just spend the time talking to you about the day of the Lord, what that means. That day is quickly approaching. The time of His appearing is at hand. All of the pieces of God's plan for the ages are fitting together right in front of our very eyes. You need to open your eyes. You need to see what's happening. God has already told us in His Word that these things are going to take place before the end of days and these things are taking place. We are at the end of days. The poet wrote these words and I'll close. The poet wrote, Andre Crouch, may God bless him. It won't be long when we'll be leaving here. It won't be long we'll be going home. Count the years as months. Count the months as weeks. Count the weeks as days. Any day now, we'll be going home. We are going home. And we're going home soon. So let me again encourage you. Let's stay focused on Jesus. And not on the world. Let's stay focused on Jesus. Until he comes for us. Stand with me. David, come and lead us in a song. And we'll be dismissed.
continue to gaze upon you and live for you until we see you come for us. And we will be grateful and thankful to you forever and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless your weekend. Have a great one in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.